Hello, welcome to another episode of Off Air. It's your weekly news, sport and pop culture podcast that comes out on a Wednesday and gives you a little insight behind the media curtain. Um, each week, Nick Stewart and myself pick the top three stories of the week to rip apart with you. Um, and also, it's a—it's always a surprise for Nick. He doesn't know what the stories are, so um, sometimes I manage to catch him by surprise. The stories that we're going to get into in a couple of minutes, we have the Masked Singer being shut down by COVID. Uh, the question, is Google about to break into our higher education system and tear down our unis? Plus, a juicy one, Bella Thorne has literally broken the internet, or at least the OnlyFans website. This is going to be very steamy. Now, if you like a little bit of off-air and you want more of it in your life than just in your ears, we have a Facebook group as well. Search uh, off-air on Facebook, and we would love to be able to chat with you and get your ideas for other stories and see what you think on all of the things that we speak about. Let's get into it. Tim, Nick, yeah, let's with Nick and Tim. It's real talk, yeah. it's real walks. This ain't gossip, it's just what we say when we're off air. It's real talk, it's real talk. Just two opinions, we spit what we say. We off air, it's real talk. It's true talk. It's two opinions, we spit what we say when we off air. Nick Stewart, we're connected. Hello, my friend, how are you? I'm looking forward to this chat. Oh, mate, I'm going okay. It's been a a massive, massive week in my life. Uh, and, and off air, off air, outside of the podcast, you've been a massive support to me. So I appreciate that as always, mate. I love our friendship. And, and this podcast has always been an opportunity for us to be open and honest. Uh, and, and at the start of it, we said we wanted to capture the conversations we have on the phone weekly anyway. So uh, let's rip the Band-Aid off. Neither of us are doing breakfast radio anymore. <laughs> yeah. This podcast was so aptly named, Did We Read the Future? It's re- We're super off air right now. And uh, this week, it's your story. So yeah. I think there are probably um, some of our friends and family who listen to this podcast who know what we're talking about. But I would say there are a lot of people who have no idea. Um, Nick Stewart, what's going on in the radio world before we get into stuff? So, huge decision made last week by the company I'm employed by, Southern Cross Osteria, who own a number of stations both regionally and in the metro market. So, if you're living in Melbourne, Fox FM or Triple M and uh, regionally other ones, ones that, Tim, you've been employed by as well in the past. You've been a member of the SCA uh, team. Yep. And last week they made the decision to sack 19 breakfast shows or make 19 breakfast shows redundant uh, and form what they've called super shows. Uh, across Victoria, Queensland, New South Wales, South Australia, uh, and Western Australia, which which already had a super show in place. This is like uh, the biggest, it's probably the biggest breakfast radio redundancy in Australian media history that took place. That like yes, and I got 90- to be part of it. Uh, it was unfortunately the show I did with uh, a girl called Bethany Larson, which went across Toowoomba, uh, Roma, Kingaroy, and Dolby. Uh, ceased to exist as of Friday. And uh, we went through the process of uh, working out whether we would be made redundant or whether there was opportunities to be redeployed. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be um, offered the opportunity to go for a position within the Toowoomba office uh, doing a morning shift. So I'm now on the radio from 9 until 12 uh, on weekdays. And I also do a little do a little bit of digital stuff. 
Um, uh-huh. So you're still, so you're still a little bit on air, but you're not doing a breakfast show, which is very different. Um, no, it's very hard for me after that's been five years of my life, and 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 really what I dedicated myself, you know that Tim. That for me, yeah. that was that was my dream job. So it's, it, I guess, at the moment, if I'm speaking openly, I would say from my personal experiences, I'm in uh, just a complete state of shock at the moment, mate. In the space of seven days, I've sort of gone from doing the job that I'd aspired to do. Uh, a lot of my life um, to doing a very different role, and and I'm feel exceptionally fortunate that I have that role, and, and very fortunate uh, or very thankful to SCA for giving me the opportunity to try for it. But I also feel just absolutely gutted and and devastated for uh, a lot of my friends and colleagues who who weren't fortunate enough to be redeployed and have unfortunately been made redundant by Southern Cross Osteria, which is how many? It's, it's close to forty announcers, isn't it? Yeah, it was around nineteen plus breakfast shows. So it's been thirty. Uh, uh, yeah, not. I, I don't know what the exact numbers are, mate. But uh, it's it's a lot of people who've dedicated their lives to a specific craft. And and look, on a personal note, I think it's a real shame for regional radio. Um. But at the same time, I also would like to say uh, that I that I think that 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 the shows that have been selected are fantastic shows. Uh, our good friend Guy Clifton Cliffo up in Townsville is looking after Queensland, and and he's a really skilled, fantastic broadcaster. And that and all across the country, you can't fault the decision they made on the shows they've chosen to keep. It's just such a shame that they had to make those decisions. It's so crazy. Um, the way that this actually popped up, I remember, what was it? It was last Wednesday. We'd already recorded and I think you gave me a call and you said, um, Tim, it's happening. And I said, what's happening? And you said, I got the email. So what are you talking about? You said the redundancy email. And it's mm. something that we've, I mean, it's been a common theme on the show is that we've spoken about media downsizing. I mean, last week we were talking about Google taking on um, a lot of news um, agency, news corporations, um, we keep on seeing media struggling to survive and figure out what it is in Australia at the moment and being mm. a part of the media. Uh, we've spoken uh, I mean, uh, dozens of times about is it going to happen to radio? When's it going to happen? And um, it, it finally, it did. Um, yeah. And in it's, such it's- a shocking way too. Well, yeah, and it's been it, it's been a really wild ride, mate. Like, obviously, you and I, when we have spoken about it in the past, we always predicted it would be a few years down the track still, yeah. and we might be able to milk the cow a little bit longer. But, uh, uh, you know, unfortunately, global pandemics don't spare anyone, and financially, uh, there's been giant repercussions across the media industry in Australia, and, and there's been uh, several, several oh, hundreds of redundancies made across Australian media over the past month. Scoping from Channel 9, Nova Entertainment, there's been uh, a real uh, bloodletting. And the, and the second byproduct of that, unfortunately, is now there is an ultra competitive job market out there. So to, to any of my friends in the radio world that are listening, I, I just want to say, you know, uh, I being made re- and, and to anyone that has been made redundant throughout this time, being made redundant has nothing to do with your ability or, or your skill set and the way you managed yourself in that job. It, it's genuinely a, just a shit thing. It's a really uh, close personal mentor of mine rang me and told me he'd been made redundant twice. Uh, and it's funny because often, you know, the first thing that uh, managers will, will tell you is that it's not a personal decision and it feels incredibly personal to you when you're going through it. Uh, and as I said, mate, I, to be honest for me, I'm just in – uh, just in a lot of shock still. 
just in just trying my hardest to process it and and keep my chin up because it is a really testing time and i have been uh very very lucky compared to a lot of other people i think everything that you just said um to any of our radio friends who've been listening um i hope that you hear those words as well nick because i know that this is really knocked you around in the last week. So I hope that you know that like, this isn't a reflection on you. You are going to keep on going to do incredible, incredible things. And also you've had an incredible run as a Brecky radio announcer. Like I know the stuff that you've done because I've been following it. Um, you were you like you were and still are an incredibly talented announcer. Um, and Hey, fuck it. Let's make great podcast episodes off air. <laughs> let's do it, baby. Story number one. The Masked Singer is shut down due to COVID, baby. So Osher Gunsberg, uh, Jackie O, Dave Hughes, Danny Minogue, and a cast of about 200 people have gone into mandatory isolation after 17 COVID cases have been confirmed from inside the filming of the show itself. The whole production has been suspended, which obviously gives Karens everywhere proof that masks don't actually work. Nick, (laughs) have you been watching The Masked Singer? Are you upset that it's going to be shut down? Well, I took a little bit of time uh, and assessed whether I wanted to watch The Masked Singer or take a drill to my forehead. uh, And the drill to my forehead just, just clinched it out. Uh, no, I haven't been watching it, but I do find this entire thing hilarious. I think they're up to about 16 confirmed cases uh, Seven, out of that 17, 17, if you're 17, yeah, that, so. uh, little explanation that I just gave, you would yeah, have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I zoned out from parts. Look, it's, it's, it was as interesting as The Masked Singer. Uh, it, it's a funny thing, isn't it? And I don't know why they tried to battle through uh, a, a pandemic to make this show, but I think it probably shows the bullishness of people in the media industry and how confident they are that they can get stuff done. Um, And, and also that we all know the pressure that is put on those people in those situations, but it's just pull your heads in like Jim's mowing's not allowed to happen. Why should the masked singer? Yeah, literally Jim's mowing. Great example. Because if you're a mower, you're literally standing out in somebody's front or backyard by yourself this is a show with 200 people in a closed set sitting next to each other, sweating, dancing, mm. costume people, fitting these ridiculous, stupid costumes, turning, what, what's her name, into the into the dragonfly. Like, of course this is going to have problems when it comes to COVID. And what I don't understand is how we were allowed to get to the point that we've got to. Like, do you have any understanding? Literally all of Victoria is in lockdown right now. Except for the singer, because it has to be done. It has to be done, Tim. That's 200 jobs. But also, why would you rob Australia of that level of entertainment where you get to see a bunch of people who weren't good enough to make it after their stints on reality television? So instead, we're going to chuck them in a mask and try to guess who they are. Also, why does... Look, this is my second rant with the mask singer. Okay. Why does it need judges when the judges aren't allowed to guess who is in the masks? Like, yeah, because they get in trouble, it gets edited out, doesn't it? It gets edited out. What the fuck is the point in judges? What do they actually judge? I also don't know how you win. Like, we have a serious problem in Australia at the moment with reality TV where there doesn't seem to be any apparent winners. Like, we've we've totally jumped the shark to the point where there is no end to these shows, which works perfectly for the TV networks because if it's a crap show, they could end it after three weeks. 
and if it's a good show, it all of a sudden lasts three oh, months. Got to find Look, out who the puppet is. I'll be watching. I'll be watching till twenty twenty five. Who is it? The yellow wiggle? Who wins? Who wins the Bachelor in Paradise? How, like, I've, I, I interviewed eight people off that show, and I, I started every single uh, interview with who wins and what are the rules, and none of them could tell me. And they're on the show. It's yeah, bizarre. I don't. I don't know what the Masked Singer actually is. I think I've never thought about the, the point of the judges. I never even thought of them as judges. I think what, what it is, it's like the lowest brow form of reality television that you could possibly imagine. It's basically, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, but um, with to music, really. It's just like, let's get people who have some tiny Instagram following and dress them up and put funny lights on them and funny costumes on them. I mean, I, I started... I think I watched the very, very first episode of the first season because when I saw that there was Lindsay Lohan on the panel, I went, oh, maybe they've got really good quality people. This could be really cool. And I remember um, them going, all right, we're going to unmask the first person and they take off the mask. And when I saw that it was Brett Lee, I nearly (laughs) threw my remote (laughs) through the television. I went, oh, okay, that will be it for me then. Well, at um, least he's big in India. I mean, we're not talking parent trap Lindsay Lohan. We're talking like after her fifth stint in rehab, Lindsay Lohan. But you're right. On an entertainment level, essentially it is akin to, you know, when you get a child and you like put a blanket over your face and they're like, who is it? And then you drop the blanket and you scare them and surprise them at the same time. It's the adult <laughs> version of consuming that. Yeah. It's scary. Shit, you're that's all our mass Singer listeners. But, okay, so serious question. Um, I, I know that it's fun to rant on The Masked Singer and talk about how shit it is as a show, and I completely agree with you. How did they make, how did they get to where they are now? How was it not shut down earlier? This is in no way an essential service. And also, why were they filming any of this in Melbourne when they could have just as easily moved everybody to Sydney and just shot it in Sydney, Brisbane, any, I mean, anywhere, shoot it in bloody Toowoomba. But wh- why was this happening in Melbourne? Like, it just would people- have been jobs and money. Ultimately, that's that's what it would have come down to. There's probably some sort of grants from God knows to get them there, and then then their argument to the state government would be, well, we've got 200 jobs, and if we can't do it, then all those jobs are gone, and we might not film in Melbourne. Story number two: uh, Google. They've won the search game, and now they're ready to topple the education industry. So Google have announced that they're going to be creating their own online university um, with something called Google Learning Certificates. I think this is really interesting. They don't exist yet, but they are in creation at the moment. And what they're going to be are six-month tech and digital courses um, estimated to cost about $300 each uh, US to do. Um, Mm. They're going to be created and taught by Google employees, and they are going to be valued over university degrees when it comes to applying for jobs with Google itself. So I, I, I don't know. I'm really excited to see this. Do you think that Google's about to do to university and college what Uber did to taxis? Potentially. And God, I hope so. Like the university in system in Australia is so incredibly broken. And I think we could dive into that. Should we do five minutes on the university system in Australia as it currently exists? Well, let's focus Just- on Australia because this is going to, this is going to roll out in Australia. They're aiming for America first, but yeah, I mean, this is going to have a huge impact on the Australian uni system and job market. Yeah. 
So if you look at the late 80s, early 90s, uh, the majority of tertiary education was was free or heavily subsidized in Australia. Uh, and our government owned a lot of tertiary education facilities. And that has since changed. And now they're privatized. And the hard thing with privatizing t- education or tertiary education or any form really is that it is incentivized to get people through the door because mm. you're encouraging as many people as possible to get into a university, hopefully go on HEX, and the university will get paid or or bring in international students will pay even more money. Mm-hmm. But long story short, all of a sudden it becomes considerably easier to get into these degrees, especially when it comes to degrees like business uh, or arts or humanities. Uh, they've really loosened. Yeah, they've really loosened how to get into these courses. And where it gets concerning is the people aren't getting jobs once they finish because the job market hasn't changed dramatically to, 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 to fall into line with what these universities are creating. And you couple that with the cultural issue in Australia of a lot of tradies not wanting their kids to be tradespeople. They go, I don't want my kids to be on the tools till they're 50 uh, and live the life I have. I've worked hard so that they will go to university. The problem is that that system's changed and is now incentivizing sending kids there. So you've got this whole breakdown in our system on a fundamental level where you're ending up with a lot of people in their 20s becoming uh, man babies and having degrees that they can't actually get into the workforce on. It's really interesting because these degrees have become almost superfluous. And mm. now you've got to ask yourself if you were um, if you were an industry leader like Google, for them, they have an incredibly high standard of employment. I think it would be, you know, for anybody to say, I worked at Google, that's an incredible tick on your resume. Yes. And I think it's really interesting that they've gone, you know what, we're going to grab the bull by the horns. And instead of letting universities dictate the type of learning that graduates are having that may not be applicable to us. We're going to create our own system so that people can train and then join our workforce and be really highly skilled. Because I think the other thing is unis are, A, they're super expensive, B, they go for three years, and C, I think they're not very practical. I think the majority of people that get a three-year degree then basically have to go and do some type of internship. Um because they, they haven't actually learnt the, the hard and fast skills that they're going to need once they're really in an office or once they're really doing it, doing something. Absolutely. I think I found up for me in my industry, which at the time was marketing and advertising, mm-hmm. uh, towards the end of my university degree, I thought it was the most redundant thing in the world. I was working in that industry at the same time and just seeing you had six months, like in university, you had six months to organize a stall, like a, like a yeah, weekend right. stall. Uh, and this was at QUT. Whereas in the real world, that that is a that that's like an afternoon problem. You know, that's, that's yeah. so, you're you're absolutely right. But it's interesting because this is people who are pro capitalism would say this is a sign of capitalism succeeding. There's a there's a fault in the market, or there's a system that's not working, and a company has decided it benefits them to fix it. So they have put that in place. Uh, the problem is we don't live in a purely capitalist society. So why isn't our government doing something about this? Well, I think the other problem is that uh, universities, I mean, they are revered and they are learned societies and they are pillars within Australia. And I, I mean, it's launching in America. So in America as well, if you look at the great universities and colleges over there. And so there's also like a little irky thing of, ooh, do I want Google 
to be running the education of this country. Like Google are going to sweep in and they're going to steal this from under your Oxford and your Cambridges and your Sydney Uni and UNSW and QUT. They're going to steal this from under our noses. And I mean, it's going to happen without a vote. It's going to happen without a committee. All of a sudden, this corporation is now going to have a greater hold on our society. And that's kind of scary. I mean, we spoke last week about Google going up against the news organizations. Mm. Like this is one company that is slowly like a kind of like a bacteria spreading over the world from industry to industry and kind of eating it up. And so it's scary if Google isn't necessarily a, a purely good thing, which which I don't think it is. It's certainly not. Because now we're giving it even more power over all of our lives, over not just our online life, but now our our training and our education. Like, do you think you got to fix the broken system though? That's the problem. Is right. Like, it, it, the reason that this exists is because Google has seen a niche in the market. So, if if the system worked better, and my personal view is that education in general should be, a, a, you know, owned by a state-owned thing or a country-owned thing. Uh-huh. I don't think that uh, education should be incentivized uh, in any form financially. It should be based on the best people are put in those courses and they then succeed at them. But unfortunately, that's not the system we live in. I think it's offering a great opportunity for people who uh, maybe wouldn't succeed at tertiary education but might find these mm-hmm. courses slightly more practical. So from that perspective, it's a positive because it's empowering more people away from the broken education system we do. But you're 100% right. It's not leading them necessarily towards, you know, you can't try. A company is always, I think I can speak about this more qualified than most this week. A company is always going to be uh, defined by its bottom line and it's always going to make decisions to benefit its bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. So it's scary when you start putting people's futures into that system. And you're going to do start- one. You're going to do a course for three hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't see why not. I think it would be really interesting. The other thing, I've had a look at the courses, and instead of so they don't have like a communications course or a marketing mm. course. The courses, and I think that this makes so much sense. The courses are labeled by the jobs that you get with the course. So they have a course that is called data analyst and you graduate and you can get a job with Google as a data analyst. And under the bottom, it says the average for this job is $66,000 a year once you get it. So it's really clever that instead of going, oh, you're going to do a communications and you can use this to express yourself and this and that and you'll Potentially here and yeah. It's like, no. What am I going to do in three years? How am I going to pay rent? Okay, I'm going to do the data analyst course. They have an opening of jobs at the moment. In six months, I'm going to be able to apply for them. Like they've Ubered this system. They Mm. have 100% looked at this broken, shitty system and gone, we are just going to digitize it. What will be interesting is how the system responds. That'll be the curious thing because yeah. obviously the taxi industry has tried to do different things. Uber's been fairly successful. The fo- Uber Eats, on the other hand, the food industry has been a little bit more successful in fighting back against Uber Eats. Uh, but yeah, it's getting man, it's it, it it's a wild time to be alive. Twenty twenty, 
live in do you it. Think, um, do you think that it's a good thing for the education system as a whole? Because regardless of whether or not people choose to do the Google course, like the fact that it's 300 US dollars a year has got to be good for our prices because it's going to have to drive prices down. It's a great question. I don't know the answer to that, mate. I, I don't think our education system is good. So whether this will be a positive thing is curious. But what I would say is we have we have shown that traditional industries are not very good at responding to these digital invasions. So I think it'll take them some time and they're definitely... Overall, to start off with, there's going to be massive losses. Mm. Yeah, it'll be... In, it, yeah, in terms of job losses... No, just in terms of just in terms of the 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 tertiary education system is going to suffer an extreme loss before they, especially because you are talking, as you said earlier, about a system that really holds themselves in exceptionally high esteem. So they're going to first of all just go, well, these idiots can't do what we do, Uh, and then once it's seen to be successful, they'll take some time to bounce back. But I hope, uh, in all honesty, from my personal experience. I hope our current tertiary education system burns because I think it's failing a lot of young people in Australia and giving a lot of people false hope and false promise. Mm. And putting people hugely in debt at the same time. That's the other big thing. And we don't have to think about it because it's hex. So we don't have to pay it until we earn a certain amount. And once you do, let me tell you, it's shit. Story number three. Nick, I thought you might be in a sad mood today. So I've got a story that you're going to love. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Hit me. Bella Thorne broke OnlyFans. So, Nick, we use the term broke the internet all the time, but Bella Thorne, former Disney actress, has literally done it because she broke the OnlyFans website by announcing in the last 24 hours that she was signing up. If you haven't heard of OnlyFans before, it's basically like a personalized adult uh, website where you can follow certain people and they create content for you, but you have to pay them directly. Uh, She said that she was going onto the platform and in the 24 hours after she made $1.39 million. (laughs) And I did a little bit of research. Yes, I went onto her OnlyFans to see how much that was so I could do the math. 16 bucks a month, man. She's at the moment, it's a bargain. Oh, how did you know that off the top of your head? (laughs) I have no idea. Why would I know something like that, Tim? It's weird. Like, you didn't even guess to it. If you said 15, I would have been like, oh, yeah, that's a good guess. But 16, that's exactly the number I have on the page in front of me. (laughs) Visited. What are you meant to do? Like, when you see that in the news, I had no... First of all, I had no idea who Bella Thorne was till I saw this headline. Second of all, yeah, I went straight to the uh, (laughs) OnlyFans website and checked it out. So I'll do the rest of the math. $16 for a month is 87,000 subscribers, um, one of which uh, may be you next to it. Um, so, yeah, Bellathorn has broken OnlyFans. What do you think? Uh, we talked about, look, in, I think in our first ever podcast, we talked about ethical pornography uh, and, and I sort of broke down what it means. This is an exact example of that. So I think it's a fantastic thing. It surprises me that it is only 87,000, to be honest. Uh, if, if anyone wants, wants to express their sexuality and I guess earn money off it to, to make it sound really tacky, this is a great way to do it because you're entirely in control. We were just talking about Google Ubering the tertiary education industry. Uh, OnlyFans has really Ubered the shit out of um, pornographic industry, which was which has been broken and abusive for a long time. Mm. So I'm very pro uh, if someone wants to display their sexuality in any way, 
they're more than welcome to do that as long as it's a healthy way that doesn't hurt other people, um, de- yeah. depending on what, what they consent to. But uh, what I would say is this is a great way for those people who are actually uh, exposing themselves in this way to get direct money. So I think it's an awesome thing. What's your thoughts? I, I actually, um, it's very rare that we completely agree. Oh, we've done it a couple times today, actually, because mm. I guess we both hated the Masked Singer. Um, <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's really interesting. There's There are a lot of people who are kind of up in arms about this um, because she is a Disney star. That's how people know her originally. Um, she started off in Wizards of Waverly Place is probably where a lot of people would recognize her from. She was in the movie Alexander and the Terrible No Good Very Bad Day. Uh, also The Duff, Blended Family with Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. So she's very much been like a child star. Um, and that's how uh, she has already got the following that she has. Um, and then in deciding to move into the adult entertainment industry, Um, There are some people that are not happy about it because they're saying, well, uh, she's setting an example for other people. Like are people um, kind of sexualizing somebody that they think of as being underage? Um, So there there are definitely some questions that I understand why people have. No, fuck off. She's an adult. She's allowed to do it. She's legally on this side, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, So she can do what she wants. She's not owned by Disney. I sort of, I think those people are idiots. Like if you think that your children don't have access to pornography from a younger age than ever, and the pornography is not more graphic, then you really need to take a good hard look at yourself and and maybe work out ways. And look, we're not parents. So this is a bit uh, lecturing-y, I guess, and not coming from a place of knowledge. But I think now is the time to teach your children uh, healthy sexual practices and healthy sexual respect and and take them in avenues or send them in avenues which are going to be body positive avenues as far as i'm aware she's not doing anything uh super aggressive or negative or angry or oh oh yeah in terms of what she's actually posting on there yeah yeah, I don't think she's posted much at the moment. Um, I mean, you might know more than I do, but I, because I can't see what she's posted, but I've seen in articles that she's really only posting like like sexy bikini photos and things yeah. that you would pretty much find on Instagram anyway at this point in time. Um, yeah, look, I, I completely agree with you. I also really like, and I know that you touched on this, but I love that um, OnlyFans is taking the power away from pornographic websites and from the porn industry as a whole, mm. which I think, um, you know, I- I- in lockdown, um, Ellie and I have been just smashing through like all of the docuseries on Stan and everything, and she'd never seen the Louis C, not Louis C.K. Louis uh, Thoreau. Louis Thoreau Twilight of the Porn Stars documentary yeah, and it's, it's amazing. Um, it's a really interesting thing to to rewatch and I think it's something that for a lot of men who are listening uh those docos are things that kind of pop up on your radar and you probably watch in like your early 20s because it's exciting to be like oh wow I want to learn it, how does the porn industry actually work um but to rewatch it with my girlfriend who really hasn't like thought about that or, or kind of like being exposed to to it that much was really interesting to kind of see it through fresh eyes um and yeah if you if you do watch a documentary like that and there, there are a bunch of them out it's very very interesting to learn about how dark and manipulative the pornographic industry can be 
And even though there's the argument that it's dealing with adults and capitalism is capitalism, um, we've seen the ramifications of these uh, of of these experiences so many times. I mean, we've spoke about it yeah. a couple of weeks ago with with porn stars wanting to have things removed, saying that mm. these things were mistakes, and they lose their identity and they lose control and ownership over their own experiences in a lot of ways. So I am totally for this. I think it's great that she's doing it, and I would hope that this happen. I mean, I haven't signed up to any of these things, but I love the idea that. Um, adult performers are able to monetize what they do directly and no longer yeah no longer be subject to to a really gross gigantic manipulative system yeah when you when you watch do you watch porn yeah yeah i definitely watch porn yeah when you watch porn do you pay for it no i do not no Ah, tim what do you though well i guess you do yeah yeah, no, I certainly do. I do. I don't. I it, full disclosure. I don't have an OnlyFans or a fans only account, uh-huh. uh, but I do pay for uh, Pornhub's premium services. I'm not embarrassed saying that. It's just like a. It, it's just like our fathers buying penthouse magazines. Like I think you should pay for most things you do in this world. I also go to pubs to watch the UFC. I don't illegally stream it. Um, you know, I'm, I am benefiting from a service that someone is expending themselves to give me. So I'm not going to steal it as stupid as those, you know, I don't want to go back to, would you steal a car? Would you steal a, so why are you stealing a VCR? Um, you know, pirating is its own issue and whatever. I've definitely done it in the past, but I think specifically when it comes to the porn industry, if people are doing it in a safe way, and they are they are receiving the financial benefits and they've made that decision and they're in the right mind frame, then it should, you know, whatever. If anyone wants to do anything with their body, let them do it. We spend so much of our lives judging people uh, for the decisions they've made and yet we rarely put that lens upon ourselves. So I think it's, you know, it's great to see and it's also great to see that through this global pandemic and looking at it through that lens, this has probably helped a lot of women get off the streets. Like, I mean, in terms of selling their bodies on the streets or putting themselves in real danger from a health perspective or, or, or or furthering the spread of this hyper contagious um, uh, 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 pandemic that we're in the middle of. So, you know, it's, it's, it's such a positive thing um that has happened to that industry so it's great yeah you really put me on the back foot by asking me that and it's it's one of those things that i actually feel embarrassed it's like have you ever spoke had a conversation with a vegetarian and they raise good points and you're like (laughs) (laughs) you're like yeah should he yeah there's no reason why i shouldn't eat less meat my only question um when you kind of use that analogy about uh paying for services that you use when we speak about uh let's speak about Pornhub specifically so Hmm. obviously it's a porn website um you can pay for the premium level but you were speaking about like stealing as in uh, comparing watching porn for free as uh, similar to like downloading the UFC for free as compared to paying for it but Pornhub offers its Pornhub is free if you don't do the premium level. So, yeah, like, like um, are you not still 
I don't know. I mean, it's a company. Like, they must monetize somehow through advertising. Are you not paying for it just through your clicks and through your eyeballs? I, I genuinely asking. It's a great question that I don't know the answer to. I, I don't know. Yes, I would assume so on some level, but are those performers getting it? I think OnlyFans is probably the the best way to do it, to be perfectly yeah. honest. And I've been trying to look for a way to do it because – uh, you know, that, uh, that it's funny that you mentioned that Louis Thoreau documentary because that really threw me. Uh, and I think like most men our age, it, it, you've got a really interesting relationship with porn because when we were really young adolescents, the 13, 14 year olds, we didn't have pornography on our mobile phones. We've been, we've been the generation of people who have adapted to that way of doing things. And you're always going to break some eggs doing that. Uh, but I think you've got to always try to be better at what you do. And I didn't mean to embarrass you by asking that. I just sort of no, no. I wanted us to be open and honest because I think that the majority of people listening probably have never paid for porn in their lives. Yeah. It's a really interesting discussion. I really like the fact that I like the fact that you are open about it. Um, because I I mean, like literally every man has porn in their life in some way. They actually they mm. tried to do a study. They wanted to do a study in the UK um, about the effects that porn had on your sexual habits. Um, And so they were going to study different groups of men, including like groups who watch porn and the amount of sex and the type of sex that they have and men who don't watch porn and the amount of sex and the type of sex that they have. Um, And they had to pull the study. Do you want to know why? Because they couldn't find men that don't watch porn. They couldn't find. They couldn't find. They couldn't. They couldn't find any. They couldn't find a sample size. They couldn't God. find enough for a study. So, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. Like pornography is definitely something that exists in our world and has infiltrated it to a level that, um, I mean, it is. It's literally in fifty percent of the population's lives, guaranteed, and a high percentage of women's lives as well. More um, than ever. More than ever. And and then there's even different ways to look at that. Like is fifty shades of grey pornography? Is is it where do we where do we align pornography? It's fascinating. You know, in life, there's very few things that we have as shared experiences across every single human on the planet. And and, and the evolution of our personal sexuality and death are two are, are two things that universally are experienced by every single human on the planet. And they're two of the most taboo things to talk about. So I think mm-hmm. anything that is going to make people less scared to talk about things that they feel very confronted or embarrassed about is going to be a positive thing. So I think, you know, as, as much as people joke about it, and I've had radio friends in the past week come up to me and joke about it and say that they might look at starting, you know, uh, only, only fan fans. pages. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, I look, I just think it's, it's anytime we can have positive conversations about this that make people feel less awkward, that's going to mm. be a really positive thing. Do you want to know what I hope happens out of all of this, especially with Bella Thorne specifically? She goes um, hardcore. <laughs> she can do whatever she wants to do. <laughs> I hope that she continues acting. I hope that she continues to have uh, some type yeah. of regular acting. Um, and I know she directs as well. Uh, I hope that she continues to have a, uh, a career outside of the adult entertainment industry because I think that a huge amount of the problem is the stigma associated with appearing in things like these, appearing in things like um, OnlyFans and the question of um, 
well, what are you going to do next? As if it's going to end your life and as if you'll never be able to be taken seriously as a human being again. And I think that that's just an awful uh, way for the world to look at um, sex workers because they are just as intelligent and able as anybody else. And there's no reason why one period of somebody's life needs to impact every single aspect of the rest of their life. You know, you and I are literally literally today talking about the period of our lives as breakfast announcers and we are happy and able to continue our lives and do other things. Mm. So I just, I hope that she is able to be more than just the Disney star that went on OnlyFans. I hope that she can be the Disney star that went on OnlyFans and then continue to have a successful career in Hollywood. Um, Because I, yeah, I think we need to rip up that stigma. Yeah, I agree completely. I don't know if it's going to happen in our lifetime. And it, even when I'm talking about it, it sounds like a weird hill to die on. Uh, but I do, but I, but I hope that, you know, sexual rights and, and people having ownership of their sexuality is a, continu- is a continuing positive thing. Mm, I agree. All right. Well, that's story number three. Nick, thanks for having a chat with me today. Um yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say, but thanks for sharing as well everything um, that you shared this morning. Uh, not this. What am I talking about this morning? My brain is totally just falling apart. It's been a really long day for me. <laughs> thanks, for, oh, thanks for sharing everything that you you've been through in the last week. I know that it has been a really crazy time um, for you in your life. But uh, hey, yeah, onwards and upwards. And it's no, thank you, challenge. mate. I really appreciate it, uh, and I pre- appreciate your support over that time. Uh, as well. And I just wanted to give a shout out to, you know, someone I spent every morning with and probably spent more of my life with than my fiance jazz over the past five months, which is uh, my co-host Beth. Um, she's, she's a sensational person and there's going to be work for her very, very soon. Uh, and, and, you know, as I said, I really feel for all my friends that weren't fortunate enough to uh, still have some form of foot in the game with this industry. Mm, mm. Well, that's the end of another episode of Off Air. Uh, If you are still hanging out with us and you want to know more, we have a Facebook group, a secret group, if you search Off Air on Facebook. And there's also a page that you can follow to get all the info on upcoming episodes and more. Um, Hopefully we catch you on there. Otherwise, we'll see you next week right here on your favorite podcast app. Bye.